Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. In today's conversation, we have Clemson head baseball coach Monty Lee and his director of player development, Ben Paulson. Joining me in this conversation is former hitting intern Nick Askew, who's now the director of player development and operations at Georgia Tech. If you like this episode and would like instant access to all of the roundtable discussions, you can join LPD Plus. It's an online coaching community filled with these discussions as well as drill videos, sample programming, anything for the curious-minded coach that's looking for better ways to train hitters, pitchers, baseball, and softball. One of the questions I always got after inventing the spinner arm care tool was, how do I use this? So I came up with the foundations of throwing online course. This is just a one-hour mini course uh, outlining not only how you can implement the spinner or how we use the spinner on our training floor, but how you can develop a full arm care throwing program uh, to get the most out of the players on your team, the players in your gym. Uh, This is just your get started guide uh, with throwing programs and arm care. Go check out that course on my website, chadlongworthonline.com. I'll put the link in the description. Thanks again for tuning in. Without further delay, let's get on with the show. Um, All right. So we are roundtabling tonight. We have Clemson head coach Monty Lee and his director of player development Ben Paulson, um, and they I, we were kind of talking before we got on here and just explaining the structure a little bit. Ben, it's just casual roundtable. I don't have anything written down, and we just kind of go back and forth. If you have questions or we have questions or whatever, we usually talk about whatever. You know what, Nick? I forgot to ask. We had. Uh, we had Caleb Longley on last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know him. He is uh, the director of hitting and analytics. Is that his title at Arizona yep. State? Yep. But I forgot to ask him. Like, I always try to start with a with a question. And I know that Monty is a Game of Thrones guy, but yeah. but was there a TV show during COVID lockdown that caught your attention that I need to know about? Are you asking me? Because I've watched. I am, it. I am asking. <laughs> um, you know, I'm I'm kind of like a. I don't know how you guys are when it comes to shows and series, but I'm I, I'm kind of a snob. Like I, I I either like I either watch it and I'm in. Like once I once it bites me and it gets and it gets me, I'm in. And if I watch like the first twenty minutes. And I don't like it. I just I don't go back to it. Like I'm, I'm I don't yeah. know what it is, but I can't. I, I don't really give shows time. So Game of Thrones was one of those that it, it grabbed me right at the beginning. Because he called Game of Thrones. The, he said, "Dude, you got to watch it." Is the hundred mile an hour is velocity at twenty degree launch angle of TV shows? Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna call that. Then I'm in. Yeah, watch it. I'm yeah. gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a shot. I mean, that's the only way that I could get you to watch it because I knew, <laughs> I knew if I said this, hey man, it's a yeah. low line drive into the back net of the cage. Yeah. I'm probably that. passing on that. <laughs> so, now, never buy. Um, I tell you what, I just finished that for a coach. I'll be honest, like, it's really, really good because. Um, is Last Chance You Season 5. Okay. Season 5 is Laney College out in Oakland. And they have no dormitory, no cafeteria, 
literally it's like inner city blue collar mean tough kids that they're playing because they love football like the other seasons it was all the rejects they got kicked out of other schools and you know which is great right i mean there's a place there's a place for everybody right Right. there's nothing wrong with that but it was it was more about how um you know just how crazy and renegade everything and there's places this one is not like that this one is like this coach this guy he's from oakland and how he just like how big he is in the community how tough he is on these kids and how he develops them and like every one of their stories is like one kid works at a like a wing shop till 3 a.m sleeps in his car and then drives into Oakland every day to play football, you know, and like it's like those kind of stories. I've never watched whole, any of those, but that that's intriguing to me. This one you will like because yeah. the coach gives you like some serious, like great coaching nuggets that you can use in any sport. Um, I just like him because he's 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 got a little swag about him. And he's yeah. street smart, and he's yeah. tough. And I like really that. Good. Like, I like that. I don't guess since 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 TV shows have to grab your attention early. I don't guess you did Breaking Bad. Did you? Oh get yeah, it? I watched Breaking Bad. Okay. Yes. This is slow early, and it's my number one. And that's the, you say you're a snob. That's my number one, and like that's the show that I always compare everything to. Well, Breaking Bad is. Breaking Bad is certainly one of those that builds and gets better and better. Yeah, I said I've called it the best beginning to end TV show there is because usually a lot of the TV shows are really good in the beginning, and yeah. then they kind of taper off as the seasons go on. I mean, that, that's kind of why, honestly, I'm not. I, I did. I mean, I I have a hard time with like dragons and stuff on TV shows, so I had a hard time with that on Game of Thrones. But as I was watching it, the last season was happening, and just was getting destroyed on the internet and i'm like why am i going to invest all this time for these seven seasons and then this last season is going to be like right not good and so right. i, I kind of fell off the wagon i kind of fell off the Game of thrones wagon but right yeah. now, my number one all time have you done ozark have you done ozark during awesome yes i've watched ozark, ozark. ozark. maybe one of the best shows i've ever watched yeah. i love so somebody hooked me on ozark they said it's breaking bad uh Except and they kind of get in the story. I was like, all right, I'm in. I'll give that a shot. Now, how good was the last episode of that? I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, a lot. I liked so it. Ozark, Nick, I love Ozark. Nick like locks himself in the in the in his house and like, studies R code and stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, other people have hobbies like fishing and like I don't know hunting and and that's great. I just I guess Trad gives me a hard time because my hobby is like. Oh, I'm like reading research and like <laughs> being a nerd and like reading dense literature or like doing art coding and yeah, maybe I am. That's probably you why. Like I'm the so word single, drills, so. we can get into, <laughs> and you do not like the word drills, Nick. I don't. Think, <laughs> I don't think you and I are going to relate very well. <laughs> uh, I, I, well some guy, <laughs> some guy sent me like so. I posted yesterday on Twitter that we hit the breaking ball machine with long short bat yesterday, the right-handed breaking ball machine with long short bat. And some guy sent me a DM on Twitter and said, you should add an eye patch to it. And I said, we have the synaptic strobes. I mean, is that, he's like, Oh yeah, those are good. You should read my 
research paper that I did on this. And I said, is there, is there a hillbilly cliff notes to this anywhere? As because like you use if you're using big SAT words, it might take me a bit to get through this. But hey, talk about height leading into baseball. I'll, I'll I'll give you a great eye patch. There's there's a book, one of the best baseball coaches books out there. It's an older book. Um, it's called the Baseball Coaches Bible, and one of the chapters is um, and I can't. I can't believe I can't think of the guy's name. I'll tell you how old he is. He was the head coach at Florida State before Mike Martin. Goodness gracious. Mm. There was such a thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he finished at Michigan State. This guy was like way ahead of his time. But he – so, Chad, you would actually like it because he talked about – he used an eye patch, okay, for pitchers because huh. – he. He, he felt like um, eye dominance had something to do um, with command and direction with a pitcher. So he started using an eye patch. He would, like, cover up, like, your non-dominant eye on a pitcher that struggled throwing strikes. And, like, he said that, like, basically it, it forced them to, like, really gain body control. And he said it helped tremendously with certain guys that had that I guess had violent deli- you know violent deliveries or whatever huh. the case might be. Yeah, actually helped guys like throw more strikes. He also this guy played golf with a um, with a, a guy that worked at Florida State or Michigan State. I, again, I read this book in like two thousand one when I first started coaching, and it was a, an, a Japanese guy weighed one hundred and fifty pounds. This guy played in the big leagues, okay? And the little guy that he played golf with could hit a golf ball farther than he could. He asked him, um, how do you do that? Where do you get your strength and your power from? And he said his his back, inner thigh. And he just – all he thinks about, like an internal cue when he hits a golf ball, is just driving his inner thigh to the ball, Okay. So he started doing it with a batting tee. Like he 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 took a batting tee, and that was like his go-to drill was like your inner thigh, drive your inner thigh to the ball, okay? Like this is back in the 1960s, right? Yeah. Um, and then he, he's, he started watching slow motion, slow frame video, like way back when, and he noticed the first muscle to, um, to tense up on the body and obviously, there was no, you know, biomechan, you know, yeah, and all that back then. Um, but he noticed in the upper body, at least, that the lead tricep, at least in the book, that the lead tricep um, uh, flex at contact before every muscle. Okay, so he would take a dumbbell and he'd have his kids lay on their on their sh- on their shoulder like this on on their side. And they would just sit there with a dumbbell and just like hammer this move. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm like, you know, I'm like 24, right out of pro ball, and I'm like, that's that's like I'm gonna do that. You know, that's it. Yeah, yeah. that's it. And the eye patch brought me back to uh, like one of the first baseball books I ever read. So. Um. So yeah, we can go back. That's there. awesome. That's kind of one of the. That's kind of one of the things that I wanted to to touch on a little bit is I think you and I have talked about this privately, but, but one thing we kind of ask guys 
um, is like your journey as a coach. And I, I think I've heard you say this, or you and I have talked about this, or I've watched you or listened to you on a podcast say, you know, the things that I've always believed, I still believe, but how I go about them today with information and technology and all these things are different. Going back to that time, you've always been a guy uh, that believed in, in power and offense and, and driving the ball and, and those things. How, and this is probably a, a deeper question, maybe, I, maybe I'll cut it down to, to like, how, how have you changed through time in training those aspects of players? Because I know in my own, in my own journey, you know, you come out of pro ball. I, I came out of pro ball. So the, the, the ideas in pro ball at that time were, were very prescriptive and you're trying to, you're trying to, you know, internalize, tell guys how to do it. And, and, and now, you know, as far as, you know, the straight led approach and task challenges and on all these, on all this information we have, how have you changed about, uh, maybe touching on one or two things about the delivery of, of that idea of you know, drive the baseball, power, uh, you know, doubles, doubles and slugging and ISO and, you know, WOBA and all these things? That's a good question. That's a very, you know, as you can imagine, a very broad question. Yeah. And I'll, I'll try to, if I can, I don't know. I'll try to make it as simple as I can. I think when I first started coaching, um, coming out of professional baseball, um, without as much information, obviously, that's out there, out here now, you know, we didn't have, there was no social media at that point. The internet was there, but we didn't, I didn't really use it, you know, that much. You know, we're talking the late 90s. I, I wasn't on the internet and there was no baseball resources on the internet at that point. So I think the biggest thing that I noticed early on in coaching, and certainly when I played, was that players would grab everything that you told them. You know, so I think the player to coach connection, it was like if, and I, I can remember being in high school, like Bill Wilhelm and June Rains, and then Jack Leggett and Ray Tanner were our two Clemson and South Carolina head baseball coaches, right? Like if you went to one of their camps as a kid, that was the only opportunity that you really got to be in front of big time baseball, right? Right. The only experience she had had up until that point was high school baseball coach. And I had a great one. I was fortunate, but I think, and I'm going somewhere here, but I think that from the very, the first opportunity that I ever had to be coached as a hitter, my high school coach was a big fundamental driven base running cuts and relays, bunt defenses, like we knew all that stuff, right? We could catch and throw the baseball, but when it came to hitting, it was like we hit at the end just to get it in there, but we didn't really train. And I had no idea what I was doing. I literally just held the bat and hit the ball. I had no approach. It was see ball, hit ball. When I got to college, I played for a guy that um, didn't coach us at all, like literally at all. So I went to the cage with a tee and a bucket of balls and my buddies, and we self-experimented constantly. 
with different drills, with different stances, with different feels, with different visuals. Um, so when I got to pro ball, um, it was kind of like, this is a professional baseball teacher. So when he would tell you, to, you know, the first hitting instruction that I got that stood out to me was uh, Mitchell Page was our hitting coordinator with the Cardinals. And he said, guys, how many of you have been taught take the knob of the bat to the ball? Right. Because like if you went to Jack Leggett's camp or you went to Ray Tanner's camp, if they said when you swing the bat, you start the bat over your back shoulder and take the knob of the bat to the ball because that's what Tony Gwynn said, right? Right. So that's gold. Like if, if Jack Leggett says take the knob of the bat to the ball and you're 16 years old in South Carolina, you take the knob of the bat to the ball. That's just yeah, how you're yeah. There was no, well, why? There was never a why outside of in those cages on my own experimenting with my buddies, right? That was our – that we were – as a player, I did a lot of self-exploration because I didn't have instruction. So I was always open to new ideas and thoughts because I said there's got to be a better way to do this than what I'm doing. Um, so when I got to pro ball and Mitch Pace said, take your lead elbow down to the ball because knob to the bat – knob to the ball – causes you to drop the barrel. You don't want to drop the barrel. You always want to keep the barrel above your hands, right? So we would do side toss. He would flip it up like eye level, and we would have to get our elbow above the ball. That was our hitting instruction. Well, I thought that was that was the, um, the way, right? Sure. I go to spring training the next year, and I'm hitting in the cages, and I've been lifting weights all fall. I mean, I'm running a 6560. I could throw. I had power in college. I had no power with wood. Right. And I'm like, where did my power go? Like, I had power. I was a three hole hitter in college. I hit home runs and I was playing with a negative five, but I could hit, I could hit home runs in college, but I can't, I can't hit home runs with wood. It's not translating. You know, this the idea of the lead elbow down, because I worked on that all fall. And when I got to spring training, he looked at my swing. He said, your swing is too flat. I'll never forget him saying that. And I said, well, what does that mean? My swing is too flat. And he said, well, at contact, you want to be in a power V. You want the knob of the bat pointed to your belt buckle. And I said, Mitch, no, you don't. You know, I was like, that's not how I've watched enough baseball on my own and I've seen enough guys in the cages just hitting with my boys back home. You're, you're, you're more palm up, palm down. And my elbow is in my rib cage. I'm in this position here. I'm in a strong position at contact and my back leg is an L it's bent. And my firm and my front side is firm and it snaps when I hit the ball. And I, I know what a, like a contact, a strong position of contact looks like. And what you're telling me, that's not, that's not it. So I knew right then and there, like, this guy's full of shit. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, he's <laughs> just sure. teaching us this because he played in the big leagues and he could rake. And, yep. and somebody probably taught him that. And there was no, there, there was no thought process to it. And that's when it kind of hit me, like, Everything that I'm coming across, I think, is pure gold. 
I need to question this because this is not mm-hmm. this is not hitting, you know. Um, so when I got into coach, then I went and played with the Rangers, and the Rangers had much better hitting instruction. They that was when Rudy Hadamio was coming through, and yeah. know, the only and he was good. The only thing that that hurt us it was everybody was cookie cut to get their foot down early. That was the get your foot down early era. Yeah. Right. Yep. But he taught me how to get into a position to hit. And he taught me and 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 we hit off machines. That's the first time I'd ever really hit off of a machine. Um, they would actually tell us to start moving when he's dropping the ball in the machine. And they had like this old Hummer machine, you know, at like 40 feet throwing gas. And um, you had to figure it out, right? Like you had to figure out how to barrel it. Well, I thought this is awesome. You know, like, because I'm trying to figure this thing out without anybody cueing me and coaching me to death, right? Mm-hmm. And then we had the yep. breaking ball machine in the cage. Hey, breaking ball machine, just hit it right back at the machine. Just try to drive it right back to the machine. That was all the instruction we got. And I became a much better hitter because it was more of figure it out, mm-hmm. an external cue. Um, you know, we had a kind of a drill package that we would do. And it was more of a system, but it was more of you do what you do within the system, right? Um, when I when I got to when I got to junior college baseball coaching, I actually like my first job. I had some, like stupid athletes to work with. Like we were a top five JUCO in the country, so like I had all these dudes that were just like stupid athletic with bat speed and twitched up guys that could run. Um, and all I did quite honestly was I said, you know what? I don't need to talk a lot about mechanics with these guys. Just talk about being an athlete in the box and give them. And I didn't even know what an external cue was at that point, but I started with an external cue of the, you know, like the right center field 365 sign, the batter's eye, and started just kind of working with that first more instinctually. And I started seeing what that does to a hitter. Mm-hmm. And I realized real quick that if you're talking about internal cues constantly, and we didn't, I didn't know what that was at that time, but I realized real fast that learning how to move athletically on time, matching my timing with the BP guy, or the machine, mm-hmm. once I figure out my internal clock and my rhythm of how my body moves and I have an, an external cue to hit the baseball too, you can do a whole lot with that without messing that hitter up with a lot of mechanical stuff that is only going to, quite honestly, screw him up and slow him down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's where it started. Um, I never understood um, coaches. Um, we want guys to run hard. You know, I was raised. I was raised in a program that you play hard, throw the ball hard. You know, don't 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 back off your throw. But yet, why? I wanted to back off our swings. You know, it was like this. This like back then, it was like it was forbidden to talk about hitting home runs, driving the ball. It was more. Got to hit low line drives the other way. Yeah, home runs are accidents. Exactly. Home runs are accidents. Yeah. 
No, I just hit them by accident, right? And 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 I have talked to so many guys that are big leaguers that hey, I just try to hit line drives to center field and home runs happen. There's guys that do that, you know. Um, but the best hitters in the game, the best hitters that I saw um, in coaching, pulled the baseball. They 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 weren't hitting the ball the other way. Praying it, definitely not. Yeah, like they weren't they they were the guys that were winning the front of the plate on velocity mm-hmm. and could turn on it. So like the the light bulb clicked with me when I got to South Carolina, um, and the elite of the elite, the best hitters in the country, they 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 snapped velocity around. Like if you you throw, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter if you throw. You know, and at that time, 92 was gas. But yeah. like, if you threw 92 to Justin Smoke and it was middle, he would destroy it. You know, Steve Pierce would destroy it. Uh, Landon Powell would destroy it. Like, those guys, you couldn't you couldn't throw fastballs by them. Um, so, like, that was always my base. My base was external cues. Wow. And I've got to get mm-hmm. you to the point where you can spin velocity around because when you walk into the ballpark, if the scout walks into this ballpark, that's the first thing that's going to stand out to him is can you spin velocity around? And that's and I just felt like I'm never going to try to train a hitter without that concept to begin with. That we got to be able to hit velocity to the full side of the field. You got to be able to hit it hard. We work in the middle of the field a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. Hit, and, and I think I've said that before too. It's like I've rarely seen a bad hitter that that can true the ball pull side, like square the mm-hmm. ball up, not hook it, you know, right. not, not roll over it, but, but really drive the ball truly pull side from, from the left center field gap, even where the left fielder plays to the line. Yeah. Um, I, I just, you don't see bad hitters that do that consistently. Uh, they're bad hitters that hook it foul and they pop it up pull side. Yeah. But they don't, they don't miss it. You know, they, the good ones don't miss it that way. No, I think it's the truest swing. I think it's the truest swing in baseball. I think that if you can get a guy – The hardest one for sure. You know, yeah. it's the hardest one. It's the one you got to maintain your posture the longest, maintain your connection the longest, you know, rotate the farthest too. If you could do yeah. all those things – and I and I heard Donald Ecker say that at ABCA, maybe Indianapolis. I can't remember, but he, but he were talking about approaches and maybe practice design, and he was talking about how how you should just start with the pitch up and in. You know, and, and kind of mm-hmm. from that day, I did some evaluation of what we were doing, and, and we just started, you know, with our guys, like, we're going to handle the pitch up and in to the pull side. And then after that, everything is like letting slack out and decelerating, and I'm going to bet you can do that. And so, mm-hmm. what was – go ahead. Uh, go ahead. I was going to ask another question, so you can finish that one. Yeah, no, I think, the, again, I, I think we want to be with hitting. I think the hardest thing for me, even to this day, and Ben will probably agree with this, like Ben and I talk hitting daily. I mean, daily. I mean, we, we're, you know, kind of – we're player development um, addicts, right? I mean, I just yeah. – I love player development. I love I love trying to develop players and coaching players. Um I think the hardest part for us as coaches, and this is one of my biggest focuses, like going into tomorrow when we can go back to work for the first time in five months, is. Ooh, I got you on the right night then. 
Yeah. Mm. Um, is like not trying to not trying to accomplish so many different things. That's the hardest thing in coaching. It's like if you're passionate about this and you love doing this, it's like, well, not only Chad, do I want us to be good at pulling the ball, I want us to be good at yeah. hitting the ball. I want us to be Four. able to hit, hit a ball the other mm-hmm. way. I want us to do everything, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think the, the one thing that I've learned over the years, and it's one thing I have to constantly be aware of myself, is we don't need to do six drills today um, in 15 minutes because we got to get on the field to hit. Let's just let's just do one or two. That's my biggest weakness as a coach is I want to I want to cram all of it down the funnel on a daily basis. Um, For sure, the best, the best the best hitters. The best hitters can pull the baseball and keep it fair. Um, I think that's that stands out to me faster than 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 anything. And that doesn't mean that I haven't had elite hitters that could hit them. That their strength was to drive the ball to the opposite field. Sure. I've had I, I've had guys that their strength was to hit the ball the other way, and that's a beautiful swing too. But you know, at the end of the day, it's our job to maximize the strength and the power potential. Of a, of a player, whatever that is. That's that in my mind is I've done a good job with a hitter. If I've maximized his, his power potential. For sure. I think you said so, it perfectly, Monty. We are, our guys are sponges. All young hitters are sponges and we'll have two weeks where we'll have our first round is pull round. And, you know, for about the first two weeks, it's beautiful. Then the third week and fourth week, they start pulling the ball that's up and away, that's down and away. Yeah. And then we have to happy for sure. Then we have to change that. And then it goes back to them of, hey, you want us to pull everything. Well, we're trying to understand the why. We're trying to teach you the good swing. And the, the good swing, like you said, Chad, is the tough. If you can pull if you can pull a home run and hit the foul pole on a straight and it doesn't get higher than the foul pole, that is the best swing. Sure. I know some guys. When they take BP, that's how they end. They would end every day, like Brian Dozier. That's how he would end every day. Is I want to see how many balls I can hit off the left field foul pole and see how straight I could keep it. And it was just using your hands and their backside to work. But then being with these young hitters, they don't understand sometimes what we're trying to develop over the long haul. You know, like they're mastering it, but then they can get overzealous of what we're doing. Yeah, start start like helping it pull side versus like right. hitting it there, like hitting it there in your swing and, and like manipulating it pull side or, or two different conversations. And I don't want you to manipulate it over there. Yeah, for sure. We battle that. We have guys get pull happy in the cage all the time. Cause I mean, we talk about it all the time. Like I want you to hit the ball cause I'm in a cage all the, like every day. And every mm-hmm. sucks, but it is what it is. Like right I, here in the cage, like 15 feet from home plate pull side right here in the corner, but sometimes it just, it, it's like, man, I'm throwing you like all kinds of pitches that are like middle way and you're just grounding out. And that, like, like that's not what we're looking for, obviously. Okay. So I, I got to keep going. Yeah. I want to ask a question kind of on this topic, if, if that's fine. You're good. Um, and, and so Monty, I think, you you touch on some really um, key elements of that constraint-led approach. You, you use the terms like search 
researching and exploring in your own career. And I know that those things are um, breathing and, and living within that type of approach of coaching. And, you know, I love that you're, you've given your players this really this, this degree of freedom to kind of search themselves and, and kind of search the task and the environment and kind of figure out, you know, what is the best solution according to who I am. And so I wanted to ask, like, what kind of, could you give some examples? Like, you know, Chad and I, you know, we like to refer to this video with, uh, is it, it's, it's, um, Agassi and yeah. Boris. And I, so I, I think, think it's Boris Beck. I don't know. It's one of those guys, Bjorn Bork, one of those tennis guys. Yeah. And it's, it's just a great illustration and, and story for what I'm trying to ask. And I think it definitely falls in line with the constraint led approach. And, um, so Agassi basically was able to read Boris Becker's tongue, like whether it was in the middle of his mouth or on the side of his mouth, that would give away which direction he was going to serve. And for players that he has faced historically in the past, they just could not beat his serve. His serve was one of the best serves in the game of tennis at the time, and no one could beat it. However, like what you're talking about, Andre Agassi had an external uh, attention, and he was searching that task for potential information that he could use for, for his action. And so I thought that was really cool. And so what I'm trying to ask here is like, you know, and, and what we've kind of do sometimes in batting practice is we can vary like arm speed of, of the pitcher on a, on an off speed pitch. And we're not telling them that we're doing that, but that could be information for them um, with an external approach um, and trying to find a solution to that test. So like, what kind of examples maybe do you like, uh, or, or maybe tasks that you design that, that, sh- that you prefer, um, if, if you don't mind sharing, of course, that are, if that makes sense. Hopefully that was pretty clear. Are you asking me, like, what if I worked, if, if when it comes to communication, like communication with my guys, like what type of external cues do I, do I like to use or what type of feels do I like to apply, like in the kind of like, kind of like tasks, you know, like, like how would you like manipulate like batting practice? Like for instance, like you could like something that we like to do is like we could throw colored balls um, to hitters and it basically gives them an external attention to the, to the, to the spin of the pitch instead of like maybe something about their body. So like if they're doing BP or something, how would you like give them or encourage more of that external approach, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I can I can um, I can answer this um, in uh, with a few different examples that Ben and I um, spent a lot of time on before our season started. And once we applied it with our guys, um, I think you would agree. I think we in, in my mind, at least, and I'm sure at some point we'll adjust this and, and it may even get better, I hope. You know, that's kind of my my goal, too, is to find better cues and to find better constraints than the ones I've currently using. Um, so one, one of the things that I'm a big believer in is in the environment for a hitter, um, I, think you, I think you want to create an environment, first and foremost, where he's, where he's comfortable with who he is, but he's also very comfortable with the struggle and how challenging that environment is. Like, it takes a lot of work, a lot of work with coaches communicating with guys about 
how hard we're going to try to make the environment and that it is completely okay for you to fail in this environment, but you will figure it out. And we're, and we're here to help you figure it out. Like that's mm-hmm. not just a guide to try to help them find that solution. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very difficult thing from the beginning. Guys, we're going to hit off of the machines. We're going to hit with long, heavy bats. We're going mm-hmm. to hit spin. We're going to throw you into a lot of different environments that you have never done before. And you just have to be willing to understand that this is going to be tough. This is it's going to be hard. It is supposed to stress your brain. Um, mm-hmm. the fir- one of the first analogies, I like to use analogies a lot. I like to, I like to try to relate the environment that they're getting ready to go into to something that they can relate to that's simple. Right. Mm-hmm. So one of the first ones I do with guys is I say, look, this is what my practice environment is like. You know, you see those see those calluses on my hand. Those calluses on my hand represent a lot of hard physical work. Right. That's a lot of swings with a fungo. That's a lot of dumbbells. It's a lot of kettlebells. It's a lot of barbells. That's a lot of work in the yard. That's a lot of work. My hands don't blister anymore. And I'm proud of that because I've, I've put a lot of work into those hands and you have to understand that this is your brain. Like this is your brain and we're going to build a mental callus through our training environment. That's, that's, that's never, that's never going to tear and bleed and break on you. So, and when they see that, and, I, and that's why I, can't, I mess around with our guys all the time because we talk a lot about how blue-collar our place is because it's so freaking nice, right? Like our guys are spoiled to death, so we have to try to take an environment that is very student-athlete-driven. They got food all the time. They've got an unbelievable facility. They're spoiled rotten, right? They've got six different uniforms, any bat they want, Um batting gloves, right? Well, what we do is we take all that stuff that they get and we really, and we try to hone in on, okay, now we've got to make these guys super tough because they have been, they get pampered so much, right? So it's a, mm-hmm. that's a challenge for us as coaches. But the first thing we do is we try to get them to understand the mental callous concept that you just have to bear with me. You just have to, you're going to have to deal with this. You're not going to get out of hitting off of the machine. It's just mm-hmm. not going to happen, right? And if you want to pout and you want to show that weakness, go ahead. But I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to let you get away with it. You're going to have to, you're going to have to compete in this environment if you want to play for us. So once they start to understand that from the beginning, it makes our job a lot easier that, Failure is a given. It's an absolute. You're going to look bad. It's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be stressful and challenging. It's going to be hard. You know, you're going to have to be a jungle tiger in our our program. You're not going to be a zoo tiger in our program. So just those simple analogies of toughness within the environment. The environment is what is where the toughness is. That's, That's where it's created. So when we get into the BP element, okay, how can I make this environment challenging and make them efficient without them really knowing it? 
Mm-hmm. That's the key. That that is yep. the key. So you have to create constraints that challenge them, but they don't even realize it's really going on. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the part. Yeah. Do we explain it to them? Of course. And we give them the why. You know, I hear that all the time. You got to give them the why. You got to give them the why. Sometimes you don't have to give them the why. Yeah, I go back and forth on that too. It's like, I how do I need to tell them? I know? don't. Sometimes I do. Yeah. Sometimes I don't. You know, mm-hmm. if they ask me, I'll tell them. But so what Ben and I figured out with some of the constraints that we use to create efficient moves, efficient swings, and challenge and challenging at the same same time instead of just a good old feel good BP is the very first thing we do is uh, we move the batting turtle up on the hitter. Okay. There's a reason for that. Okay. So the back pad of our batting cage, literally when a hitter takes a swing, if he takes a swing, his bat will be about that far from that back pad. I push it as far up on him as I can. Okay. It's literally almost like where the catcher would sit. Okay. There's a reason for that. Okay. Um, Because if he's late with his movement or he has a negative attack angle with his swing, this is where data and technology plays into this. If he's got a negative attack angle, the top of that batting cage will expose him over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Over and over. He'll keep hitting balls on the top of that cage and 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 I will tell him at that point that your bat sensor on, and until you get to the point where you're positive positive five, positive positive eight, you have to understand that your either your timing is late or your swing is too steep downhill, and that and the top of that cage is going to tell you that just as much as that bat sensor will. Okay, so that's the first constraint. Mm-hmm. Is when you push the turtle up on them, if they're late and they can't win the front of the plate, they're going to hit the ball on the top of the cage. If they're hitting the ball behind um, their stride foot a lot, it's going in the top of the cage because we put the L screen at 25 feet every day. And Ben will tell you, when we first started doing this now, our guys were like, he is right on top of us. And Bradley, who throws most of our BP, throws incredibly firm BP. So, so that's our second constraint: is moving the L screen up on the mm-hmm. hip, twenty-five feet. Like it. All right, our BP rounds are real simple. We just call them over/under. We want it over the top bar of the L screen and the infield protector, okay? And we want it under the top bar of the batting turtle. That's it. Yeah. And now they see the that constraint of the top bar of the batting turtle is above me and in front of me, and the top bar of the L screen's out in front of me. There's my window. And now I'm just trying to hammer balls right through that window. Guess what happens? Their attack angle's good, their timing is good, their intent is good, and their mm-hmm. exit velocity is through the roof because they're hitting bullets at anywhere from 10 to 20 degrees a lot. Create so, a ton of head-on collisions in that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't not. Like you said, yeah. I think I think a lot of people misunderstand that there are way more pop-ups from negative attack angles that will 
hammer that top of that net than there are positive attack angles. Like if you have a positive attack angle, you're going to hit some ball. You're going to miss hit some balls and pop them up, but they're not going to go like in the infield. You know, they're at least going to fly. So yeah, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. So that's a very simple, that's just a very simple constraint that we use. We use the L screen, mm-hmm. the batting turtle, and then we use the over under concept. Yeah. Those are great, man. I love those constraints. Those are great, really. And then you know, was- we, do, we do the barrier wall. You know, we'll do the barrier wall some. Um, and I like the barrier wall, um, BP. Uh, we don't do it a ton. I would say, what would you say, Ben, once a week, maybe? I like it, though. Oh, it's, I one of, it's, it's one of the – we always put it up coincidentally when it rains and we can't get on the infield, you know? Yeah. We, we try to trick them. <laughs> hey, we're going to do barrier wall, guys. Don't hit the ball in the, in the infield because we got to save the balls because uh, our grounds crew won't let us on take ground balls today. Yeah. Because they'll freak out sometimes, especially the younger guys when they see those screens across the field. But our older guys, like we did it, we did the barrier wall in 18 a lot. I mean, a lot. And we would do it with angle BP a lot. Um, and that's another one that I'm really into. I really like a lot is, uh, you know, is angle BP. But we we call it on, on and offset. Onset is the pull side angle. Offset's the opposite field angle. Um, and I'm, I like onset angle uh, much better. I'm I'm a big the pull side, right? Yeah. So here's an interesting here's an interesting conversation I had with Ryan Johansson a couple weeks ago, yeah. and I don't remember what we were talking about, but we were talking about the pull side the pull side angles, the pull side and the opposite of side angles, and he said, you know, when we do it, we do when we go pull side offset. We try to hit oppo homers, and then we go offside the, the oppo side. We try to hit pull side homer. And I'm like, I've never done that before. Like, usually when we go pull side, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to max that angle and maintain the connection and maintain spine angle and turn and rotate and kind of run into that ball on that angle to the pull side. But he said, man, he said, what we see with our 4D is guys create better lag wrist load in the 4D. The 4D has a wrist load number. And they have a lower shoulder load number. Shoulder load is the number is the distance between their lead arm and their chest. If we go pull side offset and we try to hit backside homers. And so I've really gotten, I mean, we've always done open close offset stance work and open, you know, offset, oppo offset angles on the pull side. But we, I've, that's, I've never done that with, I've never just thought why you would do that. But that, that was super interesting that I was talking to him about that. Do you now my I guess my question would be what do you do with the with the the pull side offset and the opposite side offset do you do you do you tell them on the pull side I'm going to try to hit a pull side homer or do you try to chase backside homers or what are you trying to do with those We've done angle work a lot of different um a lot of different ways um so it's funny you said that about the oppo angle, the offset angle, trying to pull yeah. it. Actually, there's a video out there. You can probably find it with Bregman. Bregman, yep. Taking yep. Like a, he's taking like a little jugs machine, yep. and they're shooting the the offset angle, the opposite field angle, and he's and he's pulling it. 
Yeah, he's hammering like the left left corner, top corner of the cage. I've seen that video. Yeah. So, so I've seen the angle. I've seen angles both ways. So I've seen. Uh, I know Seth Beer. Beer likes pull side angle, but he likes to hit it up the middle. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Logan Forsythe. Uh, there's a video out there you can find to him where he does the onset angle where he he hits it up the middle. They feel like it keeps them closed longer. Yep. And, and their bat path works through the middle of the field. The neutral. Yeah. Um. So what I what I think is I've done it both ways. We've done it with Coach Pitch VP from the angles where on the pull side you try to hit it up the middle. Um. I like it. Um, I, the, the problem that I have with that, here's my, this, and this is just me on an evaluation. I have no data on it. I, I have, we haven't tested it, not, nothing like that. But from what I saw when we did onset and we tried to hit it up the middle, I felt like guys tried to manipulate and steer their swing yeah. to part of the field and not attack the baseball. So that was the part of it that I didn't really like. When we put it on the machine um, and guys started trying to pull it, what we found, and I would think Ben would agree with this, this was, this was again, just more purely observation. We had Elijah Henderson and Kier Meredith, okay? Elijah Henderson is, what, Ben, 5'10", 175 pounds, maybe. I mean, I don't know what he weighs. Yeah. Yeah, he's small. He's not a big kid. He redshirted his first year, had like 20-something at-bats as a redshirt freshman, and we always thought he was a good hitter, like a good player, kind of a good fourth outfielder. Well, the guy hit like – I don't know what he hit for us. He was our best offensive player. By far. Well, him and Kier. He he was hitting – 320 or something when he was raking he raked all fall and he raked all season and Elijah will tell you that the reason he started raking was when he got on the pull side angle machine he eliminated this move so forever Elijah was the little guy that tried to hit the ball out of ballpark and he would hit a lot of balls like 10 feet from the fence right yeah. And he'd hit a beautiful fly ball and it wouldn't go out. And, it, and, and you know, every now and then he'd sneak one out. But, like, he was a little guy trying to hit for power and he just couldn't drive the baseball. Um, so he had a big in, internal move with his, uh, with his shoulder. His front shoulder would turn in a ton. Right. Hold, like big time. And then when he would swing, he would either hook the ball or he would jam himself a lot. Well, the, what we found, or at least what I observed, is when he got on the pull side machine, he created so much more space. He could, not, he could not turn his front shoulder in so much because he couldn't get to the baseball from that angle. So he all of a sudden, he started being able to get the head to the front of the plate and with good space and good direction and hammer the ball to the pull side of the field. And Kier Meredith, same thing, started doing pull side angle work with him. And 
those guys, in my mind at least, the pull side angle, um, I want them to pull it. And and literally, we just tell them, hit it where it came from. Yeah. Side angle, hit it over that machine. Opposite field angle, hit it over that machine. Because um, we did find that, and you may have found this too, like in some of your research, that with K-Best, guys sequence the best when they hit the ball slightly opposite field gap. When they hammer the ball, like when you hit that true knockout punch swing, what we call knockout punch, like an opposite field double, your swing sequence is pretty good on KVS. Um, so when we look at it, we're like, okay, if we want to work on sequencing from the ground up, we'll work a lot on the offset angle. If I want to work on rotational power and space, and, and probably more space than anything, we're going to do the pull side. Space being like depth from your hands to your face or space being in your hinge, that area. For, yeah, there you go. Okay. Body to ball. Yep. Just being able yep. to face as, as opposed to, as opposed to yeah. not. Like spinning off of it. Trying space. to pull it. Yeah. Just being able to create space between yep. the end of the ball for the head of the back. Yep. Yeah, got you. Um, that was kind of, kind of what I was going to ask, Ben. As we were talking about guys getting pull happy. When you find guys getting pull happy, do you, do, you, do you find your practice design going to one of those two things more to kind of get them back more neutral? Like, yeah. I think this go back to what Kier and, and Elijah do is the creating spaces, realizing that they don't have to cheat to, right. to get there. And Kier, early on, he always had a tough time hitting lefties. And – by creating that space, by doing the onset, that fixes his direction. Yeah. And then with these two guys are elite movers anyway. You know, yeah. they're already elite movers. They do everything right. Elijah is 160, but you put uh, a cylinder in his center of his body is stronger than everybody else. His core, his, his glutes, but it's just that barrel awareness out front. So when we were creating space with their hands, they're not having to cheat, and by keeping same side, it helps their vision and their front shoulder stay. Yeah, track the ball. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I find I find that when like guys start spinning off the ball to to like pull it and start hooking and everything, if we'll go to that pull side offset, and they and now if they spin off of it, they're not even going to hit it. Like and, and it's going away from them, so if they don't like lock onto that thing and stay on it. And they can't hit the ball opposite field that way either because yeah. they're spinning off it. So while you have the constraint of the same side, just to stay in longer, yep. you can realize, hey, I'm I'm supposed to pull this pitch. Yep. Your body is self-organizing itself. Yep. So one of the things that we I got I guess I could probably ask this question. One of the things we try to we try to ask the people that we have on is like individualization of of practice design and training within team settings. I mean, is it something, is it something that you guys do as far as like this bucket of players is going to, it's going to do this while, while this bucket of players may do something different or is it that individualized? Like, you you know, you'll find four or five guys that are spinning off of it, like hooking balls. So they need to do, do more of this. Is that something you, you try to do or is there just, I, I think in practice, um, we usually have one goal on the field of if it's double hack, if it's same yeah. side, onset. But then when we go to cages, 
And we had the privilege of having two managers or volunteer myself. Then we can individualize of, Hey, we need to be your first round because we almost have four coaches or four managers for each one guy individually. Like, Hey, what are we going to want to do for you today? Is it going to be standing on a chair and throwing BP to work on a pro angle? Is it Elijah Henderson? Hey, what do you want to do today? And we'll already have our cages set up to onset offset. And that's what he'll work on. Yep. So we kind of have one goal in mind of, okay, hey, what everybody says this, we don't need to be reactionary, but this game of baseball is reactionary. If you go 0 for 3, yep. you're doing something wrong, so you're going to go in the cage and try to fix it. Well, if our team is, we felt like the day of practice or a week of practice, we don't do anything, that might be what our goal is on a Tuesday or Wednesday when we're not scrimmaging. We have a team goal. But then during the cage time, we have an individual goal. Each guy has in their mind like what what they need. Now, how much – I guess this is another question I usually try to ask is like how much does data and technology influence that for them or is that something that, that they internally feel or, or what? I think it's – it's we use we're finding more and more ways to use the DK and yep. individualizing the DK yep. for each person on – Hey, we don't need you to, to search to hit these numbers. We know yeah. your numbers, but how can we get your number to realize when you're there by yourself with our 20 hour rule, how can we get it to where you're coaching yourself? You know, especially like one of the best things is uh, Chad Ferry. He kind of did a, 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 just a body change of a setup. It wasn't even a, a per se, a swing change. Coach Lee took him in the cage and he put him in a different posture and right away with the distant, uh, the DK, you saw his distance and zone from 34 go to 37. Yeah. And then he doesn't even know he's able to, he's staying on pitches longer and he's driving them the other way. And you don't have to tell them that. They just, you can say, hey, you need to hit this distance and zone, or you can just see by putting this posture in here, you're covering more of the plate, you're covering more of the zone. So it becomes like we try to figure out or we all together we'll sit down or shoot me and Monty will we'll do we'll go to lunch or in the weight room and we'll start like how can we get this specifically guy one better how can we take advantage of our technology and help uh, him you know like that, do we need to get him on do we need to get him on edutronics to break down their, their their the camera to see what they're exactly they're doing why is there can they see that they're tip of the barrel is too long because you have that short window to create the space to be on yeah. time yeah like that's one thing nick and i've talked about too is like we, we i mean we've got a couple of young like really really good athletes and i think they should do things different like like for instance like an upright a more upright posture or a lower handset or anything like this and i told nick i was like one, I don't want to tell them to do it. Like I want them to find that solution. And two, what opportunities do I afford them to find that solution in, in like a practice environment? So like, I, it always goes back to me. It's like, how do guy, how do you get guys to, to in a drill design, you know, like, like one of the things we want our guys to do is like in part of your drill design, you're going to, you're going to go with a Barry Bonds handset, everybody. You know, and, and sometimes guys find you're going to do a Cody Bellinger. And like, you know, I, I asked Rachel Folden that, that same question. It's like, 
you know, if, if you if you're if you're designing drills and you're designing tasks for guys, and you know, you want them. What do you what do you call it, Nick? What did, was the drill you put in there for for Nybauer? What did you call it, Stick Man? Stick Man. Where you just like stand straight up and then like stride out and get into a hitting position. It's like how do you put them in these different positions so that they might find something that they might find that that like, hey, I, I think I do maybe like a more upright posture. Or, hey, I think I do maybe like a lower handset versus a higher one. And and it's just affording them those those exploration opportunities in practice and drill design to like, instead of telling them like, Hey man, I think you gotta lower your hands down. It's like, do you, do you find yourself doing any of that? Is like, I think this, I don't remember who you said, but you know, I think he needs to stand up a little taller, but is there like a, like two or three players that you think maybe do that, but you don't want to tell them to do it, but maybe you design something like, in this drill, you're going to stand straight up, and then you're just going to bail and just stride out into your hitting position. Do you find yourself doing that in drill design or task challenges or anything like that? That's the stuff that that like gets me going. It's like, how can we give guys opportunity to find movement solutions that they may not have found otherwise? Because they never thought, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit down here. It's like if you just drill design it, where you got to start like Barry Bonds. You know, do you find yourself doing that? I think Monty does the, the best of that. I'm more of a, hey, who's your favorite hitter? Yeah. Try, try to replicate that. Do I asked Rachel. Hitter. I didn't finish my Rachel comment, but I asked Rachel. It's like, you know, Rachel, could it be possible that you could take a guy and you could you could go you could go uh you could go Bellinger's stance one and then you could go like Julio Franco stance for two and then I don't know two or three other guys and if they catch barrels in one or within one or two swings, is it possible they're bad? You know, because they've got this crazy adaptable system that, like, from whatever stance you put them in, within a, like a swing or two, then you give them a different bat, and they're catching the barrel. Is it even possible they're bad? I think I think that's that's the beauty of this game. You know, it's, once you get to this level, your swing is almost your swing, but the yeah. starting point is a yeah. different starting point, or the yeah. timing mechanism. Is all different. Yeah. It's creating the right path, which you already have, and they've all had success before. So right. you just have to find by like messing all with these adaptations, yeah. you know, all these adaptations and all these variations. And you know, that's that's the beauty of baseball. It's like it's it's not, and that's what I love about <laughs> Monty and I both agree. It's like first thing you need to do with a T is like walk over and then like drop it in the trash can. Right. <laughs> all moving. Okay, yeah. if you can go from all these different places and square the ball up within how you move. I love it. Like I love that that challenge. Yeah, something that I think we'll say, and something that I try to remind myself of is that I want to challenge a player to have that type of like um, movement abundance. Like he can solve the problem in a number of ways under any circumstances. He can solve the problem and how we define the solution is, is, is going to be different. But I think what I want to say is that like, I would encourage a player, Hey, like do something different with this swing. Like you have to, tr- you have to find a different solution every single time. Like once you solve the problem with this swing, then you have to try to find a solution to the same problem or a variance of this, that problem in a different way. So I think that's one thing that, that I try to do. And I think Chad tries to do as well. It's like, just try to encourage them. Hey, like 
move differently. Like try to solve this same pitch problem, which not every pitch is the same problem, but you know, there's, there's, um, nuances of that problem. And you just have to try to solve that, um, differently rep to rep. Yeah. Here's what I think about all of that. So I change stances with guys all the time. In fact, I'm not a believer that you have to stick a guy in like a, I've seen a lot of coaches that are very afraid of changing a guy's stance or his hand position or his, or his feet position or his posture position. I've seen a lot of coaches that are very afraid to do that. Um, here's what I, here's what I try to do. Okay. So what I would encourage you to do, and I've seen this quite a few times over 20 years where if you see a guy that's raking, like he's absolutely raking, like his numbers in the cage are stupid, spring baseballs, in-game swing. That's the, one of the questions that I would always ask him is like, hey, how are you hitting in games? Are you barreling up a lot of baseballs right now? You know, I got asked this question years and years ago, like, how good are you seeing the baseball? And, and I told the coach that asked me this question, so I'm seeing the ball pretty good right now. He said, have you ever seen it better? And I was like, yeah, I have. And he's like, then you ain't seen it good. He said, you know, you're going to have those moments where you're going to have those, those 30, 40, 50 at back clusters as a player where it doesn't matter what he throws you, you're going to hit it, right? We've all had those two-week periods, those three-week periods, that golden month where when I walk up to the plate, I'm the baddest dude in this ballpark and you're not throwing anything that I'm not going to barrel, right? So what we what I've what I have found is when you find a player in that spurt, he's in that stretch. Whether whether you're working with him in a cage and he goes and plays on a team, you need to constantly ask him, "Hey, are you hitting better than you ever have right now? Where are you at as a player?" Right? If he's in that moment, you film him. Get him on film. If he's not in that moment, but he's been in that moment and he's got film of it, look at it, right? Because that's the thing that I've always tried to go back to is if I can find a hitter when he's hot and film him, I have one thing in my tool bag that I can always go to. It's that stance and it's that setup and it's, and it's that movement pattern, right? I can always go to that. When I can't find that solution, Right. And I'm working with that guy. Hey, hold your hands like this. Hey, hold your hands like this. Hey, hold your hands like this. Close your stance. Open your stance. Leg kick, toe tap, no stride, like hinge. Like when you can't find that movement adjustment to get him going, you can always pull that out. So that's the, that's one thing that I've always tried to find is I got to find video on this guy where he's really hitting at his best so that I can always go back to that if I need to find something for him and I can't find the solution or I can't help him find the solution. Um, but like Ben was saying, I think a lot of times too, and maybe you guys would agree with this, it's like when you try those different things with hitters, whether it's coming from you or it's coming from him, right? I mean, there's times yeah. where, I mean, we deal with this all the time where, you know, a hitter comes into the cage and, 
he's standing with a different stance or he's got his hands in a different spot. And I, and I can, I see that like immediately. And I just walk right up to him and I just say, Hey, why are your hands higher? Or why are your hands, why are, why is your bat angle differently? Well, you know what, this is why. And yeah, sometimes they're like, I had no idea I was doing it. Right. I mean, but if they tell me and they have a reason why they're doing it, I'll let them go. I'm like, okay, well, let's see what happens. If this is what you want to do and you got a, a pretty good reason why, we'll see what happens. Another thing, too, that I really believe in, use the bat sensor and cut wrap soda on. And, hey, man, why don't you try this or why don't you try this drill and let's see how you barrel baseballs doing it. And if if it if you're if you're hitting balls 105, 110 miles an hour, you're hitting balls 430 feet doing this. Let's do it. Let's roll with it. You know, whether it's coming from them or it's coming from you. Yeah. Um, that's how that's you can the great thing. That's the great thing about technology that that we didn't have, we didn't get. It's like you can try these things and it's like you can know within five swings if that adjustment's gonna play now. You might not be barreling the ball, but like there are KPIs within the bat sensor or the 40 or the K vest or whatever. It's like, yeah, that's good. That's going to work. If you'll just stay with that, like, like that's, that's improving what you're doing. And it could be literally like one round of five in BP, right? Where all of a sudden, Hey man, just take the bat and lay the bat flat. And then he he hits five balls on the barrel. And it's like, how'd that feel? And that felt good. Let's go with it. Like I, I'm not afraid to change a guy. I'll do it on game day. I mean, I've I've done it on game day with guys because I've 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 I wasn't afraid to do that myself as a player. Where there's times where my swing didn't feel right, but during BP, I'd go back down to the cage and I'd start tinkering with different setups with my hands. Or and next thing you know, if I, I found something that I felt like felt pretty good about, I'd go with it in the game that day. Yeah. I'd, I was. I think that ex- experimenting, you have to have a reason why, right? Like you can't just go into the cage and just change a guy. But I do think that it's completely okay to, hey man, won't you try to lay the bat flat right here and take yeah. a round with a, and just let's just see what happens. We can always go back to what you what you do. Yeah. Let's just right. Let's just see what happens. Yeah. Um, we do that. We do that. I do that all the time. And I simply do it again with the idea of just trying to maximize what the player can do. Um, but do you, do that, do you yeah. find yourself doing that by feel a lot, or do you find yourself like looking at data points and KPIs and be like, I think if maybe he tries this, he can he can produce, you know, X, both. Y, or Z. I think it's both. I think that you know, I think also you have to look too at like how that guy moves. I think there's certain buckets of players that you start yeah. to find that. All right, this guy is not a great mover. He's a little stiff. Um, okay, he, this would be a candidate to flatten the bat out. Like right. I've, I've, because I've seen this player before. Kyle Wilkie is a perfect example. You know, Wilkie was a guy that couldn't impact the ball, but he had great bat-to-ball skill. So we had to try to get him to, to get on plane as early as possible and be that kind of hitter, like a really high on-plane percentage Bat in the zone. Yeah, just like presetting back the spine angle at 90 degrees and just going. Let him hit. Yeah. yeah. He was an elite college hitter. Yeah. Yeah. What did he hit? What did he hit in like 50 straight games or something? Oh, yeah. Straight? 
something yeah. crazy. Yeah, air bat speed, and you know, Pirates gave him 125 grand. He's playing with them yeah. now. Impact yeah. at all, but he would just he would just he would lay the bat. He would just lay the bat like this, and he did like a little internal, you know, hip load, and he would just go right to the ball. Yep, as long as he can maintain his connection, he's on plane. Like, yeah, right. there. And it was just. So, like, you see guys, and Ferry was one of those guys. Like, Ferry, you know, Ferry did did not get into a hitting position. He didn't hinge. He would, like, squat into his rear leg, and his and his spine angle was upright. So, he would, like, sink. And, and one thing that we found with guys that do that is that are very quad-dominant loaders that, that sink and their chest stays up. They don't get into their scap. I don't know why, but guys, Jonathan French, who plays for us, is like yep. that. Ferry's like that. Like they, the guys that really get into their quad, they don't really get into a good position to to hit with their upper body. They don't engage that scap. Um, so I couldn't figure. I, I I had no clue what to do with Ferry. And then just one day, Ben and I were just like, "Hey, why don't just lay the bat flat?" And then your timing mechanism, instead of using your legs, I just want you to pull the knob down as you load. And when he started doing that, all of a sudden, the bat started working. Um, I was going to ask quickly on that on that quad dominant load because we could go deep into that. You talked about that in a in a I don't know. You did like a coach's summit or something. That was kind of your topic of quad dominant hinging and all these other things, but. Do you see in those guys that, that don't maybe stabilize their posterior shoulder inside their scap or, or they and they don't hinge and, and really load into their hip, do you see like deficiencies in sequencing and speed gains in their KVS data or or do you see like a very upper body accelerated swing that maybe in the DK accelerates at a lower G than a guy that sequences better? That's exactly what happened with Chad Ferry. He, his acceleration numbers were terrible. Yeah, they weren't good. He's one of the strongest guys, and all of his acceleration numbers were just bottom of the barrel. Yeah, and it was he just he's not a, he wasn't the moving right, and he was just using those big, strong, herky jerky kind yeah, of guys. Just like an upper body, like a big, strong guy, just took the bat like. We got a kid like that now. We got that's why I asked that question. It's like we you just. His speed gains are not good. He accelerates the bat largely with just his shoulders. And it's like he's just a quad dominant guy. And really from basically the shoulders down, he's getting nothing. He's getting no advantage from that. So it's funny. It's like, you know, we we tried our best to break our guys of the back shift and the load and get him to load in and not load back. Like we said, right. Well, what? It actually, from our strength, our strength coach is the one that gave us kind of that term and the visual of the quad dominant. Yeah, like he we, you and I talked about that. It's like the basically the strength coach guy. You can watch a guy squat yeah. and mm-hmm. tell if he's going to be able to hinge and get into his rear hip and and really yeah. accelerate efficiently. And that was the thing that we started to notice, and I started to notice watching some of the guys once he kind of gave me the quad dominant term. And I started to see the uneven belt buckle when they would stride because they were quad dominant when they would load. Um, 
I started to think about all of the same movement issues and swing issues that those guys have. And every one of them, for whatever reason, and that, that would be a really cool thing to research, is because Jonathan French doesn't do it, David Sharp doesn't do it, Chad Ferry doesn't do it. Those are our three guys that are pretty quad dominant. Logan Davidson's quad dominant right-handed. Yeah. Um, but those guys, and Ben may Ben may be able to give an example of a guy that does. Logan, I, maybe, but none of those guys, when from the pitcher's view, the quad dominant guys, the one thing that stands out is that, and I and I think it's because they load back, is their rear elbow never comes into the view of the pitcher. Never does. They don't draw in. It's just like they load back. They have a really what I call a soft scab. Yeah. So yeah. Soft. I their speed game charts on their K vests are just not good. Um, yeah, it's not that they can't produce speed, but like it's just it's just high energy, high effort, like yeah. speed. It's not that that effortless. You know, like Greg Rose talks about that that effortless wave of speed gain, and it's all mm-hmm. like not creating kind of that that kind of rotation and depth in their load to, to give them even time and space to, to accelerate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet some of those guys are better breakers in terms of deceleration now because they're quad dominant. They probably are. Yeah. They probably decelerate it pretty good. I would imagine. Cause they're strong too. Like I know that that fringe kid, I know he's like super strong. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. All right. I got, I got one more question, Nick, and then I'll, I'll turn it over to you. I always ask this okay. one. Too. So we got we got all this technology. We've got all this stuff now. You know, we've got on-field skill acquisition. We've got PT guys. We've got strength guys. How how do you all integrate these whole worlds? You know, I, I'm a huge track fan, and so I love track. I love putting all the data in track, but <laughs> Is that something that just organically happens with you all through conversation or, or how do you integrate all these, these wings now of the information that we have? It's a good question. I think that um, for me personally, I think that it's, it's, it, it all starts with you have to identify what you value the most and And really just kind of eliminate the things or it's not that you eliminate the secondary things that are important to you, but um, I think that's where it starts. So, no, I think Ben will tell you, like, when it comes to data on the swing, purely on the swing, the only things that I really want to look at are pre-contact and post-contact data. That's it. I don't in 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 in. The, the most simple terms I want, I want to look at their attack angle. I like distance and zone. I like max acceleration. A lot of the max acceleration, honestly, is because of your influence we yeah. about years ago. And it was a common trait of guys that can impact the baseball. Um, so I value that. Um, I don't value, you know, everybody keeps talking about bat speed. Like they don't value bat speed. Yeah. Um, and I and I and I here's what I here's one of the things that I see with guys that have crazy bat speed, right? The guys that have the crazy high bat speed numbers, they do tend to swing and miss more. 
they do they do tend to run out of bat a little more. But it's our job as hitting coaches to take a guy that has crazy bat speed or is really twitched up and fast and has a fast swing. It's our job to try to figure out how to get that guy to back the ball up so he can hit it, you know? Yeah. Like, that, like it's that's where sometimes the old school information I think is valuable. It's like Gary Sheffield. Like why did Gary Sheffield have that crazy bat swing? Yeah. Why? You want to know why? Because he had stupid bat speed. Time. Yeah. I mean, that he had to create more time for himself yeah. to let the ball to get to him. Yeah. Because if, even if you see him swing, he hit so many balls foul to the pool side up in the seats, oh. right? Oh. Like, what Sheffield hit, and it was like he was, he would, he'd leg kick, he'd run out on his front foot, and he's still twitching the freaking bat. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, why? And he's pulling the ball foul. Like 450 feet, like he had to have a mechanism to back the ball up, right? Yeah. So, you know, and, and that's the thing about bat speed. Like, if you got a guy that's got serious bat speed, I had bat speed. Like, I was a bat speed hitter. I swung and missed. I couldn't, I could not, I could not maintain my posture and my bat position to hit a slider. Yeah. I ran out of bat because I I just I had bat speed. But I think that that's a tool that if you can if you can figure out the right solution for that player from a timing standpoint uh from, from a really acceleration standpoint too. I mean, yeah. That's that's key in the bat speed number for me for sure. But I don't value the bat speed number as much as I do like the the Mac the acceleration number is is big and then as far as um the one thing that i really look at when rap soto is running as far as technology is um obviously exit velocity and launch angle but i like batted ball spin like i've really gotten into mm -hmm. watching batted ball spin and being able to see like what the ball is doing to certain parts of the field and what story that tells you of what their swing is doing nick has asked me a hundred times this summer about batted. I don't. I don't have a lot of experience with batted ball spin. I've just not looked at a lot of data because I've had hit tracks and hit tracks doesn't give you batted ball spin. Yeah. I mean, you can infer some of it through vertical bat angle and attack angle and you know mm -hmm. vertical launch angle and kind of infer some of it, but I just don't have a lot yeah. of experience looking at it from a day to day basis. What about you, Ben? I mean, how do you do you communicate across maybe? Through Ronnie yeah, and strength guy and PT guy is kind of within your responsibility to to integrate those worlds. Yeah, we did a really cool, uh, good job, cool job with everything. We use Coach Me Plus. Yeah, um, and they built it out to where they used our DK stuff into Coach Me Plus, yep. and I'm really looking at sleep numbers. The last Monday of the season before everything got canceled. We closed the cages because yep. we realized guys. We talked to Monty, I think, on that Monday or Tuesday. And we, we didn't, we were like, hey, you guys, you're, we just, we, so what we did this past year, we called it Technology Tuesday. And Technology Tuesday, we had a, every day we use, usually use a machine or arm BP and we chest everybody's numbers with DK. And we wanted to be the smallest standard deviation of a control to know where we could see their workload just from that. 
we weren't trying to manipulate anything, but we were just saying, hey, what are your numbers the same from last week? And we knew most of these numbers were declining. So we're like, hey, these guys are swinging too much. So on Wednesday, we went out and scored 14 runs. Do we look like geniuses? I don't know. But that's how we set everything up is using the Coach Me Plus. Um, And that was all from our our strength guy because he was wanting numbers too because it all started getting the talk conversation of how much workload is a swing on the body. Mm-hmm. Our guys taking too much swings. So uh, this this year we're gonna this fall we're gonna have a catalyst. I think it's or catapult. No catalyst. Catapult, right? It's it's the it's the GPS monitor, but they have a setting now where they can measure swings and what the fatigue is on the swing. All right. It's yeah. it's still it's still in the preliminary works, but that's what the whole thing with baseball is is. Yep. How much wear and tear does a swing do on the body? Yep. And mm-hmm. you know, there's there's practices where we like one day I just asked James Parker to 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 count every single swing. So what we did, I threw all the data out. I just marked all the swings in in yep. a DK. We've had our guys. The one kid we trained, like so, I talked to Monty that that Monday, and then the season got canceled. I think Thursday, and then like high school season. I mean, it all happened so fast. Right. So, that one kid started coming in like he was like, hey, do you mind if I come in? I was like, yeah, we got to do this really under the table, though. But that was one thing in, in his track that I had him do on a day-to-day basis. It's like, I want you to log within a rough estimation how many swings you take. And then we were yeah. testing vertical jump with him pre and post. Like it's if we saw what was the swing volume pre and post hitting that we started to see vertical jump like start to start to be affected vertical jump was kind of our fatigue marker i think your strength conditioning coach money told me uses force plates on monday and yep, same thing like stress test kind of yep. the same thing but but yep. i wanted to really like get dig into that swing fatigue and and i know nick too it's like swing fatigue is something we've been on for for months mm-hmm. it's like yeah you know in the in the in the um in the high low what's the track guy i always forget his name the what guy? The track and field coach that does the high low model. Golly, I always forget his name. Uh, it's not. I don't know. Yeah. But we we've been kind of doing that that high low model in swing progressions. Like, what is high swing volume? Is it two twenty five? Is it two fifty? And then what is low? And and how much is weighted bats figuring into that? Because that's a tool we use like all the time. So that catapult data will be re- really good to see, like, because I know yeah. you guys use a ton of weighted bats too, and like, what's the what's the influence of weighted bats on the stress of the body and how much swing volume mm-hmm. you can take? That's a super interesting question. Yeah, I love that. That's yeah. something we've been questioning a lot yeah. in a Especially lot of conversation we've been having. You're practicing every day, like that. That's just something that wasn't like that never dawned on me until mine and I had that conversation. It's like, you know, that's a good question. You don't want to lose two to 3% of bat speed during the season. You spend know, all this time building this big engine. You don't want to, you don't want to be 5% deficit come playoff time when you need to be your best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to that, that question, how we use technology. It just helps us make uh, exp- a quicker fix, you know, with video. Yeah. A more clear. Yeah. Percentage. It's just, it's making everything more efficient. You know, when guys are like, hey, you see on video, you're late. 
well, we can go look at these numbers and you're, you're just tired. Hey, instead yeah. of going and swinging, get two extra hours of sleep tomorrow and see how you feel. You know, can it be that simple of just getting yeah. or wake up early, breakfast, go back to sleep and then get a big luncheon because you're burning too many calories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like having a readiness score that day and looking at the AC ratio and the fatigue numbers and also the recovery numbers and then like just have a aggregate score of readiness you know right. green yellow red and yeah. if it's a yellow cut it down if it's a red then like dude like you're probably not going to swing today you know um but yeah that, those are things that we've definitely been having a conversation about and really questioning oh, and trying oh, to dig deeper on yeah yeah so i that's that's great info I'm, yeah. and, um i really like that my uh yeah let's not keep them much longer nick they got practice tomorrow so uh why don't you ask your why don't you ask your closing question yeah i'll be quick so i usually ask everyone (laughs) we have on here because you guys are smart dudes right you guys are learning you're uh um trying to progress and and win more championships so uh what are some resources that you are um, digging into to find more information about performance, um, like not only like for maybe player performance, but even yourself. Like how like how do you stay at the top of your game, and how are you helping players um, to be to get to the top of their game? Like what like what books, what podcasts, like you know what what sources of information are you looking into um, regularly? I think you have to know thyself, right? I think that, like for me personally, I like to. I, I believe I believe that base. My mind works much better um, through listening. So I I like I like having conversations about baseball. I, I I'm not a, I'm not near nearly as in depth a reader uh, in terms of resources out there. I've, I've read plenty of baseball books over the years, like plenty of them, right? I would say that social media has probably, you know, hurt me in that regard in that I can now watch, you know, tons and tons. I follow everybody under the, under the sun who teaches the swing. So I watch a lot. I get to see a lot of cool videos. And, and I'll, if I see something I like, I'll reach out. I'll reach out to anybody. I mean, I'll DM somebody. That's, hey, how, you and I, that's how you and I got started. Right. You know, here right. I am, just a guy from the middle of nowhere, Virginia, I get a DM from Monty on Twitter. It's like, hey, man, I see you do weighted bats a lot. I'd love to talk to you sometime. Mm-hmm. I saw, uh, yeah, I talked to Chad. The first two guys I ever talked to about, like, weighted bat work were Chad and uh, Pete Larritson. And Pete Larritson does um, – he's, he's like uh, – he's with the Indians. Uh, he's with Success uh, yeah, he's something. Yeah, he's got a JUCO job. He just he's, got a JUCO, he's got a JUCO job. job. He's yep. one of the, like – he's a brilliant hitting guy. Um, and he worked at um, one of the JUCOs in Iowa that led the nation in home runs every year, like Northern Iowa or whatever yeah. it is. AC. Yes. He was the hitting guy there. And he was the guy that, you know, like one of the first weighted bat programs I ever got, I got from him because I just happened to see it on Twitter. So um, I like to have conversations with coaches. I'm a big believer in talking to coaches uh, from a lot of different uh, backgrounds. I like old school guys that have a ton of wisdom. I like to talk to Jerry Weinstein. Ben played for Jerry Weinstein in the minor leagues. Uh, Crazy Jerry. Um, But like, you know, you talk to Jerry Weinstein, you're going to learn something. You will learn something every time you talk to him about baseball. 
Um, so I like podcasts. I like certain podcasts probably better than others, but I do like podcasts. Um, and I just like if I if I hear that somebody is good at what they do, I just like to call them and talk to them. I really do. I, I find I find that I learn best when it comes to um, just reaching out and more having conversations about baseball. Uh, a lot of our practice ideas, I either saw at a, a coach talk about it or I've talked to a coach about it and I applied it to what we do. And that's as simple as that sounds. That's kind of what I do. I don't, if, if I read, um, I've read plenty of books on baseball, plenty of books on hitting, uh, on movement. Um, quite honestly, um, I have to highlight a lot of things that I find in books that I think are valuable. Um, but for me, it's more about having a conversation. I just tend to, mm -hmm. I tend to find that I work, I'm, I, I talk a lot. I communicate. I like to, I like to verbalize a lot. So, um, that's just kind of how I learn and, and how I like to, to do it. So as far as resources go, man, I try to dive into everything. I re, I, I, um, I wouldn't say that I have necessarily any go-tos, um, but if I, but I tend to find it like if there's something out there, like I'm really in Ben and I are been talking about it. Like, uh, I got these aqua bags. I sent them to you, Chad, like some, some of the workouts with the aqua bags. That's going to be the, I'm telling you two guys this. And I think, you know, this about me too, Chad, I share what I know. I don't hide. The aqua bag training with the aqua bags is going to be, we, we think it could be probably maybe the next big thing in hitter development. And I know you, Chad, did the stability, yep. you know, with, with the PV, the huge, yep. like, white PVC pipe with water. Yep. The heavy turns, right? Yep. I just, I just ordered them from the Netherlands, um, like, these, like, weighted, they're like water medicine balls that, dude, they're stupid. Yep. We talked about, we talked, Ryan, so Ryan, the guy I was talking to you about, Strength and conditioning coach for the Mariners. What was he talking about? Like doing, we were wanting to, we were wanting to put. So we got these big physio balls, right? And he was wanting to try to put water in those and like do swing holds with those big physio balls with water in them. It's super interesting you say that though. I'm gonna look at that. Whenever. Yeah, they make them. Yeah, yeah. And the From Dodgers, the Dodgers are like, I got video of like. You see me that today. You see me that today. Today. Yeah. I was like yeah. chucking BP and I'm like. This is interesting. I'm going to ask you about this later. Yeah. I got a Dodger with me right here in the apartment. I might have yeah, to ask him. For sure. <laughs> for yeah. sure. Yeah, there you. You anything, Ben, that, that stands out as far as, like, resources or information? Uh, you know, I, Monty's a big resource. Um, just the stuff he he shoots. Questions like, hey, have you yeah. seen this? You see what Chad's doing. Um, yeah, I'm gonna send you my core velocity belt stuff tomorrow. I got my I got my new camera rig and stuff, so I'm gonna send you that tomorrow. But that's a, that's another one. Like we get questions about that all the time. Like our uh, we're out uh, on the backfield looking at a new pitching machine, and our, our, our one of our grounds crew guys like, "Hey, what do you guys know about the core velocity belts?" Yeah. And so then, you, what do we do? We like we Chad uses them. Yeah. But, uh, I read. I've, I've started listening. I'm more of a listener. Um, I just tried reading um, the uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Yep. 
That is a big uh, Josh Waitskin. You read Josh Waitskin, The Art of Learning? No. Like his favorite book of all time. So he's on the Tim Ferriss podcast a couple times. He's he's like a chess champion that like like got into uh, jujitsu and became a jujitsu champion. He wrote a book called The Art of Learning, but Zen and the The Art of Motorcycle Maintenance is like his like favorite book. And I bought it, but I've never read it. Well, I, I started reading it. And it's like 600 pages. Yep, it's big. Probably big books. I'm like, I'm going to audible it. So then I re-listened to it. And then uh, one of my good friends um, that I played with at Clemson, Mike Freeman, he's a very, he's always, he was always a reader. And he was a guy like on bus trips in college, I'd make fun of him because I was like, man, (laughs) nerds read. Yeah. And, but the, 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 the amount of books he has recommended me is, is just, unbelievable like right now i'm reading quiet um it's about the uh how introverts work in this world and how it's okay to be an introvert and extroverted uh almost extroverted yeah. america so on how to how to learn better i guess and how to receive learning i guess is, is the right terminology for that so um but then like uh I read Intangibles before that. Yeah. I I couldn't put that down. I read that in like yeah. I listened to it in two days just because it was just it was so cool listening about how is is our team's based on chemistry or talent and there's kind of a fine line and that's where it gets to you know just being in a locker room and what makes baseball special. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right, we won't keep you all much longer. You got practice tomorrow. What time you practice tomorrow? We're actually we don't have practice. We're just we're just actually getting to go back to work. Oh, you get to go to the office tomorrow. Get to go to the office. You have not been in the office since March. I haven't been in my. I can't. I went in my office twice in the last five months. One was to get my computer, and the other one I can't remember. Um, oh, I know what it was. I went. Um, so. We were we had some guys that were living. You're not here. sleeping tonight. This is like Christmas Eve. Yeah, so we, <laughs> uh, that's right. I'm not going to sleep anyhow. Yeah. Um, like Ben, Ben asked me on our mountain bike ride. Ben and I mountain bike ride together, and uh, he asked me like, "So do you got like an agenda for tomorrow?" I'm like, nah. "No, not really." I, I think we <laughs> we've got so much to try to figure out that I don't even know how to put it in in like on pen to paper. Like. <laughs> yeah. so, just start uh, throwing darts and, and and see what direction we go. Yeah, that's so, why we have multiple whiteboards in the office. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we write a lot of stuff on the whiteboards. Yeah, I'm so. like I'm like the guy on like a beautiful mind. Like I write on pieces of paper, and they're everywhere. Like I try to, I have no good solution for this. Like if it pops in my head, I've got to write it down because I'm probably twit chasing twelve rabbits at the time. Yeah, like I got pieces of paper like everywhere. I I started doing because I like one stop shops is just put it on my iPhone. I just call it success notes. Yeah, I've been running with them for years. Keep it running log. There you go. It's one place. I don't have to mess with trying to find it anywhere else. Yeah. Well, I got to get down there. I got to get down there this fall, even if we don't have dad camp again. Uh, I always enjoy my time there. I always enjoy talking to you and, and Ben for sure. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be trying some cool stuff. We're a little bit limited budget wise just right now. No uh, doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. But 
bought. Walk you uh, through some hillbilly engineering stuff for sure if you need that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did buy some long bass. I got some axe bats, so I'm going to try. That thing. It's my favorite. Like, the axe bat, long bat is my favorite bat in our arsenal. The 37-37 pull side. Man, if you can you can do that, you've got a good swing. Well, we bought, I just bought three of them today. Yeah. And you can <laughs> and find I, guys, like, they don't love the bottom of it. Just choke up a little bit. It kind of, if you choke up just a little bit, it kind of feels like a regular bat and go at it. I mean, don't choke up three inches, but choke up just a little bit off that wonky bottom. And I'm not for sure that it's not a good training aid to train off the bottom of that thing, to just to give you right. a different proprioception and feel. I mean, we just, you know, but. Maybe to get get them acclimated to it. I did. I got some farm boards too, so I'm going to try those. I want to see what those yeah. are. Yeah, I got a remote. I got a remote client who uh, who I write programs for and track. He's got one, and I mean, I don't. It doesn't matter to me what it is. Um, his acceleration numbers go up when he uses it, so I yeah. wear it out, man. You know, so it's interesting. I'm going to shoot that core velocity belt stuff to you hopefully tomorrow. Um, and so, all right, guys, good luck tomorrow. Good talking Thanks. to you. Nick, nice meeting you. All right, guys. Yeah. Great meeting you, Ben and coach. Uh, thanks for hopping on with us. We appreciate it. Yep. No problem at all. Enjoyed it always guys. Yeah, guys. All right. See you dudes. Yeah. Bye. Bye.